Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 274, Finance Friday Edition, where we interview Connor and talk about investing in real estate, structuring partnerships, and babies. Essentially, I want to have the opportunity to quit my W 2 job after five to seven years from now. It seems super aggressive. I just don't want to set it at 10 years because then it'll probably end up taking 10 years. So <laughs> essentially, I want to scale as much as I can with real estate and passive income and try to have the ability to retire in five to seven years. Well, will I actually quit my W-2 job? Probably not, but that's kind of the goal. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen. And with me, as always, is my healthy eating co-host, Scott Trench. I just don't know how you keep producing uh, these types of intros, oh, Mindy. Thank you so much. <laughs> Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else, to introduce you to every bad pun he can come up with and every money story, because we truly believe financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. And Scott truly believes that puns should be involved in every single sentence he ever utters. I can't live up to that one. But uh, whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big time investments in assets like real estate, start your own business or scale your real estate investing portfolio, we'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so you can launch yourself towards those dreams. Scott, I am excited to bring in Connor today because he's got a lot on his plate and he has a lot of really interesting opportunities headed his way. He's investing in real estate. He's investing in stocks a little bit. He's investing in crypto, which we don't get into in the show. We kind of glance over that. I don't really like crypto, so I don't really have a lot to say about that. But his real estate investing is kind of interesting. You had a really good point about structuring real estate partnerships and how to evaluate if even partnering is the right option for you. So I'm super excited to bring in Connor to talk about these things today. Yeah, absolutely. And a sneak preview to that point is just that, look, everyone wants to go faster in their real estate investing journey, but getting 50% of a $200,000 pie is no better than having 100% of a $100,000 pie. Uh, and in a lot of cases, it can be worse if you're not careful, right? It's just more work. What if you get What if you get more than half the work in managing the $200,000 pie? Um, you're actually worse off than if you didn't have a partner at all and went a little, little slower, I'm air quoting on that one for those listening to the audio only, um, that you go a little slower on that uh, 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 by, by partnering and buying more real estate than if you just went in on your own. So it's important to get those structures right if you are going to partner and begin to scale a real estate business so that the economics actually accrue to you if you're going to do the extra work to, to go a little faster. Yeah. And another point to make is that sometimes partnerships don't allow you to be the boss of the world. And if you've listened to this show more than once, you know that I really enjoy being the boss of the world. So partnerships are difficult for me. Good thing I have Carl to be my real estate partner. Now, my attorney makes me say the contents of this podcast are informational in nature and are not legal or tax advice, and neither Scott nor I nor Bigger Pockets are engaged in the provision of legal, tax, or any other advice. You should seek your own advice from professional advisors, including lawyers and accountants, regarding the legal, tax, and financial implications of any financial decision you contemplate. Okay, now let's bring in Connor. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turned a nerd wallet. Scott's right. 
Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions. Connor is 30 years old with a baby on the way. Yay, babies! And like everyone else on the face of the planet, he has more stuff to do in a day than hours of the day to do that stuff in. So Connor, welcome to that club. He's looking for advice on his general FI trajectory. Connor, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to jump into your numbers because we have a lot to discuss, including student loans, financial independence, babies, babies, student loans, lots of investments, lots of real estate. So let's jump right in. What is your income and where does it go? All right. So before tax income is combined between me and Sydney is 185,000. That includes uh, vehicle allowance, bonuses, and my W-2 salary. So the breakdown would be about 4,800 for the vehicle allowance, uh, about 35,000 in bonuses annually, and then the W-2 salary is about 147,000 combined. Well, and what do you guys both do? So Sydney is a dental assistant, pediatric dental assistant, and I'm a construction project manager for a company that does development and uh, construction, obviously. So awesome! So your job is the one that has the um, the vehicle allowance. Correct. Yep. Okay. Awesome. And any other income besides uh, besides those sources? Yeah. So I have I have some real estate that I I'm trying to track separately for income and kind of keep it within the the company or real estate accounts. So. Uh, last year I did I did a wholesale deal for two thousand dollars. I send out some direct mail every once in a while, see if I can pull in some deals. 
Uh, I have a duplex that I'm currently house hacking, but I'm moving out of in a month to uh, essentially a live-in flip. Um, I have another rental duplex on a land contract, and I have a tiny home in the works. And then I have a, another duplex that I'm essentially getting under contract this week. So all those together, I'm hoping in a 12-month period would bring in about $34,000 annually. Some of them aren't completed yet, but that's that's kind of where I think things are heading. So that brings us to what two hundred and twenty thousand in in annual income. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. And then where does it go? How how much do you spend? So getting into expenses um, again, I'm in a really transitional phase right now because I'm currently house hacking, remodeling for a live-in flip. Going to move into there, so my mortgage will be going up, but it's kind of a equity play for a live-in flip. So. Um, <clears throat> expenses, uh, broken down come March 1st would be, my mortgage would be about 1845, uh, 250 for electric, 80 for water. Uh, we have a car that we own and a lease that'll be ending soon, but the total car principal payments are 538 a month. Car insurance, 115, gas, 136, cell phone and internet is about Cell phones, 139, internet, 70. Uh, Netflix, 20 bucks a month. Uh, Student loans, $212 a month, and we can get into that more later. I'm just paying the minimum on that right now, Um, and I have been since they've been in forbearance. That's kind of one of the topics I wanted to go over today. But uh, And then rolling into some of my variable expenses. Groceries, about 600 a month. Dining, takeout, another 600 a month. Um, dog, $80 a month, personal care, haircuts, 40 bucks a month, entertainment, $400, miscellaneous house items, 250. And last but not least, just some home renovations in the duplex I'm living in is about 500 bucks a month right now. Um, obviously that'll go away, um, March 1st. Okay. Awesome. So in, in total, how much are you able to accumulate in cash per month and, and what are you doing from an investment standpoint? So as far as far as W two savings, I I stock away about two thousand dollars. I put a thousand dollars in a capital uh, investment account, and then a thousand dollars I put into like crypto and aftermarket or after tax stocks. So that's the W two leftover. But as far as real estate, I'm kind of just keeping it in those accounts because I want to essentially. One of the topics I want to go over today is how to scale fastest. So I'm trying to just keep it in there and just put it back in and look for property properties or whatever comes my way and use that essentially for buying more real estate. So awesome. So so what how where is your where, where are these assets going and what is your net worth right now? So uh, net worth is coming in around two hundred and eighty thousand uh, dollars. Breakdown. I'll go through. The assets first. Uh, everyday checkings about thirty one hundred. Uh, one of the duplex accounts I got forty five hundred. Uh, my house hack duplex account I got twenty seven hundred. My investment capital account for just sitting there whenever I find a deal is twenty four thousand. We have a three month cash reserve at ten thousand. Uh, we keep it kind of low because I have cash other places and that investment capital account if something were to happen. We feel like our jobs are pretty stable. So we just keep a three-month 
three-month cash reserve. Uh, discretionary, we're saving up for a car down payment once the lease ends or purchase a car outright. We got 800 bucks in there right now. Roth IRA opened up, I don't know, 10 years ago. I haven't put much into there, which I know um, you guys might tell me otherwise, but that's 1700 uh, We have about $47,000 in Roth 401k combined. I have a duplex. The duplexes, one of them's worth three fifteen, one's worth three fifty five. My single family home, live in flip, is worth three seventy five. Uh, I won't go into the one I got under contract yet because that's not quite closed. Uh, I got a car worth twenty three thousand. Tiny home worth seventy five hundred. I don't know. I kind of put an estimate to it for what we just have into it because it's like a it's a, our, it's a construction trailer we remodeled, and I don't know exactly what I could even sell it for. We have 7,500 into it, so that's what I got to work at. I got 8,300 in crypto and an HSA with 3,500. And that's what I have for assets. I have an ESOP listed on here that's getting it, um, rolled out in my company, but I don't have anything in that yet. So, so going into the... How, Sorry, how much cash do you have? Because you listed like seven accounts there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, general organization uh, I'm still working on. I, I try to keep every duplex or every property with a separate account, but cash-wise, I have um, about 45000 Okay, great. And you're about to – I'm sorry I interrupted you. You're about to go into debts, I think? Yep, the first the duplex that's worth three fifteen is I owe two twenty seven on it. That's a land contract at three point seven five percent. The duplex that's worth three fifty five I owe three oh five on, and the single family home that we're moving into I will owe three oh four on that. The car I owe fifteen thousand on that one at three point two percent, and then I have forty seven thousand dollars in student loans. So. That pretty much sums up the debts. Okay, and so what? What? And you said your goal is to scale faster. Can you go get into more detail, or give us any other goal, goals that you might have with your finances? Yeah. So the main goal is <clears throat> essentially I want to have the opportunity to quit my W two job after five to seven years from now. It seems super aggressive. I just don't want to set it at ten years because then it'll probably end up taking ten years. So, <laughs> essentially, I want to scale as much as I can with real estate and passive income, and try to have the ability to retire in five to seven years. Well, will I actually quit my W two job? Probably not, but that's kind of the goal. Depends how many hours I'm putting in. So, okay, great. And you want to do this through real estate? That is the goal. Yep. Okay. Um, awesome. So, so. Can you walk us through kind of in more detail the numbers on your current properties? Sure. So again, this is kind of analyzed after I move out. What I'm, I, I got to make some assumptions for what I'm going to get in rent for my unit currently. So after all expenses, mortgage, taxes, insurance, utilities, water, internet, cable, capex, vacancy, my Current duplex will bring in eight hundred and eighty-six a month. Um, I'm doing it as a corp, uh, 
I'm doing it on Furnish Finder as a contract nurse rental. Mm. Um, that's currently the tenant upstairs. That's that's how she got in here. When I bought the duplex, she was already here. So I do have a tenant that's doing it, but I haven't quite done it myself yet. Mm. So um, one, the next duplex is a land contract. I'm going to do the same thing with that. That's going to bring in about 760 a month after all income or after all expenses, vacancy, all that. Uh, tiny home, uh, that'll be an Airbnb. I'm hoping that'll bring in about 600 bucks a month. And then I do have uh, a rental listed on here that I didn't close on yet that I'm hoping to bring in 400 bucks a month. Uh, it's essentially, we're closing March 1st, so. Okay, and, and how much how much are you putting down on the one that you're under contract on right now? Uh, that'll be twenty percent. And and so what, what's the purchase price? Uh, One eighty five. But I did bring in some partners, so it's going to be split three ways. Okay, okay, I see. Um, well, great. And so so when you say you want to scale scale faster towards this, um, what what does that mean to you? Do you want to buy more properties and bring on more partners? Do you want to just accumulate more? Personally, like, how do you like what? Do you, what are you envisioning this looks like in a couple of years? Ideally, I think in order to scale as fast as I would like to and still be comfortable with not making a big mistake, it'd be nice to keep more going with these partners that I'm currently bringing in. Uh, but obviously, we got to do a deal together and see how we work. The previous uh, properties I've purchased have been on my own: the land contract and the current house hack. And then they'll live in flip. But <clears throat> as far as cash accumulation, I think it would make the most sense to to keep going with some partners. And we're looking. We did talk about some long term goals, getting into some multifamily, larger stuff down the road. Okay, great. Let, let's unpack the partnership structure here because I want to understand how that how that helps you get to your goal of financial freedom faster. So, when you bring on a partner, how do you structure it with the partners? So right now, I have an LLC. And they have an LLC and it's two of them in their LLC. It's just me and mine. So we created a series LLC. And so we actually have uh, another LLC over the top of those two that we use to get a commercial loan and purchase this next rental property. That's the actual organization structure right now. As far as roles and responsibilities, that's to be determined, I guess. How do the economics work for you? As far as uh, income, you're saying? Well, here's what I'm trying to understand, right? When, when, you, when you raise money from a partner, right, often you get some sort of carry, carried interest or ability to accelerate your position faster as a result of managing more, more money. Um, but what we want to make sure is you're not just bringing in partners. And so instead of getting 100% of a $180,000 pie, you know, you're getting... 20% of a three or 50% of a $360,000 pie, which means you're just managing other people's money, but not getting actually rich any faster um, with that. So that's what, that's what I'm trying to figure out is what is the economic advantage that you're, that you're creating that by, by pooling money together from, from a partnership? Uh, that's a good question. I guess originally my train of thought was that uh, obviously Pooling money, money together, a 20% down payment between three people is a lot less impactful if something didn't work out than going all in by yourself. So that was my original train of thought. It just kind of happened to work out where these people were, you know, looking for something as well. And so 
to answer your question, I don't know that I thought about it too much. <laughs> well, great. So, so here, here's here's a great here's a great um, a great discussion point. I think a lot of people are probably struggling with what what you're struggling with here, right? This this concept that will I think hopefully sound commonsensical when I when I explain it, but is is kind of is is kind of hard to, to conceptualize here, right? So if if I buy ten properties and bring out a partner for each of them, I'm no better off financially than if I bought five properties and didn't bring on any partners unless I structure the deal such that I'm getting some sort of economic interest. So when you hear these syndicators on the Bigger Pockets Real Estate podcast pooling together money to scale their their proper their portfolios faster, what they're doing is they're raising you know, a million, hundreds of thousands, millions, or tens of millions of dollars, and they're buying a property, and they're saying, okay, among other things, one, I get the transaction fee when I buy the property. So I'm the agent, I get the, I get the, the commission. That, that's my paycheck. Two, I'm going to charge a management fee for some percentage of the assets here, one, one, two percent of the capital I've raised. Um, and these might be high fees, right? So I'm just guys in here. Third, um, when, if the property performs as expected and, you know, let's say, let's say the proper, I'm, I'm going to promise you a preferred return of 10%. So you get 10%. Anything over a 10% IRR, um, we're going to split 80, 20 on that. Right. And so that's a way to get really to get wealthy very quickly by pooling together capital in real estate. Right. And you can imagine that the more funds you you accumulate and you manage, the more wealth you have the potential to generate, as long as you can perform in excess of that hurdle rate that you've determined with your with your investors there. But if you're just pooling together, if you're just bringing on partners and managing the property for them, now you're doing more work. Um, that's a sweet deal for your partners if you're the one finding the deal and doing the work, and you're not really building wealth any faster. You might get into the property sooner um, by by a matter of months or maybe a year or so. But I, I actually think that it's not. It, it's probably not an efficient mechanism from, uh, to scale your wealth unless you're able to say, "No, partners, I'm going to get the brokerage commission for for closing this deal, um, and I'm going to charge a management fee." And I get a certain amount of the profits over the long term in excess of of your 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 return capital or something like that, right? Now there are numerous structures there. This is a real good one to talk to a lawyer. And I have not set this up from a real estate perspective personally, um, but I'll let you react to what I'm saying there. Yeah. Well, I, what, what, are you, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, those are all things I I guess I didn't really think of. I was trying to I guess my thoughts were just trying to keep it simple, like. I essentially have twenty six or twenty four thousand dollars in my cash reserve for investments. Um, the property needed twenty percent down. I'm like, well, I can't do twenty percent down. Let's see if we can group some people together. I'd rather take thirty three percent of a deal than zero percent of a deal. I guess so. That was my original thought, but yes, I mean the stuff you're bringing up is is super valid, and I mean that's stuff I I got to keep in mind going forward as I. Yeah. And back into your, your five or seven year goal, right? So it, it, it's, you want to be financially independent in five to seven years with this. It doesn't matter if you have, again, 20% of 30 properties or 100% of seven properties that are, that are cash flowing that, that, that to, mm-hmm. to solve that goal. It's the same economics. One 
to me, one of those options to me sounds like a much simpler life um, that is actually financially free. And the other sounds, seems like a lot of work. Um, however, again, the, the 30 properties can be a way to more overall wealth if you're able to structure a partnership that's advantageous for, for, for management there. Uh, you know, because if you're going to do all of the work and just put the profits, um, please call me up. Um, and, and, and I'd be, I'd be interested in, in, in investing there. So, <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, so I've got a couple of comments to add to Scott. I heard you say, I want to keep it simple. And the best way to keep it simple is to keep all those cooks out of the kitchen and have you be the one making the decision. Because Scott and I have done your episode 276. Scott and I have done a lot of these shows and we still have differences of opinion on a lot of things. And we have like similar goals. You being in a partnership with somebody, you could have similar goals and very different opinions. And when you're the only person with the money in there, and you're the only person with your name on the deed, you're the only one whose opinion matters. And you can still go out and ask people, hey, what would you do in this situation? Hey, Scott, this is a great place to plug the Bigger Pockets forums, biggerpockets.com slash forums, where you can ask more than 2 million investors their opinion of what you're about to do or the options that you're considering. Sometimes they'll throw out a third option that makes even more sense, but I digress. Um, when your name is on the deed and that's it, you're the only one that has to make the decision. I saw a bit of a pink flag when you said um, we something about to be determined with the partnership. And we're recording this in January. You still have time to hash out all of this stuff about the partnership, but you need to come to a de uh, decision about everything before you buy the property with your partners because now you're all still friends. Now you can decide, oh, wow, you want to do that? I really, we have way different opinions. Let's break the contract and lose our $1,000 of earnest money instead of having some horrible acrimonious relationship for years because we have very different opinions that we didn't discuss going into the partnership. Now, now I, I want to say I have a partner on many of my deals. So I don't want to, I don't want to like, but, but it's not a, I do all of the work and get all of the and, 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 and he's a silent partner. It's, we're both 50, 50 and we've been partners for years. And we, we believe that as good, like, this is like, this is a person that I have, I lived with as a roommate for many years is what is my best friend or is, is someone I trust implicitly from a competence and integrity standpoint. Right. And so that, that is, that allows, we, we, you know, over the years, we've both waxed and waned in terms of, of contributions, you know, and some of that, but I feel it's been a very close to 50, 50 contribution, um, over the years for, for the, for the building the business with that, that to me is helpful. Right. And, and then it is, it is, it is wonderfully simple in that case. But if you're looking to scale, I think your partner, if you're going to go 50, 50 with a partner, there needs to be true operational advantage that you're accruing from that, or you're getting economics, economic interest, a, si a silent partner yeah. that is splitting the economics with you close to 50, 50 is not going to help you actually meaningfully move towards your goal. In my opinion. And Connor, you have construction experience. And because you work for a big company, I'm assuming that that's more commercial construction mm -hmm. experience than specifically residential. But electrical is electrical and plumbing is plumbing. And, you know, the the codes might be different, but the the con the uh, construction basics are all the same. And you have a lot of knowledge to bring to the table that could be 
more beneficial than your dollars coming to the table. Like you could get paid for your construction knowledge. Perhaps you could partner on commercial deals to help you grow because you've got the commercial construction experience. And now I'm getting outside of my area of expertise because I have done zero commercial. Um, But if I needed some commercial, I'd call you up. Hey, Connor, (laughs) come partner with me on this giant renovation that I don't know anything about because I've never done commercial. In Um, in fact, you should should see if you can talk to the person who owns the project um that you're the, the projects that your your construction firm is working on at some point um to kind of understand how how they structure the, the deals with their limited partners right i bet you they'd be fascinated to have that discussion um you know maybe they blow, might blow you off i don't know um on that one i don't know the <laughs> dynamics. but that but that would be but i bet you that they'll they'll echo some of the things that i just described there about carried interest and management fee on on invested capital limited partners you know, th- those types of things. And, and the way that they're going to make money on the deal um, and not go broke based on the way they structured their, I'm going to charge a certain amount of assets under management to pay the staff and my salary, but they're going to make their hundreds of thousands or millions on any of these projects based on the success of that project and carried interest. Sure. Does carry, is the term carried interest, are you following that term? Yeah, I understand carried interest. Not in full detail, but I do, the term gets tossed around at, uh, at my day job. So I do kind of understand it. Okay, great. For, for those listening who, who may not understand that, right? Um, there's a bunch of ter- there's there's various terms that will describe this concept. But essentially, let's say that we're buying a, a hundred million dollar uh, uh, property, right? And there's twenty five million in equity raised from limited partners, right? These are uh, private syndicator investors, like like myself. I invest in a couple of these um, from time to time, um, and. That twenty five million is looking for a return on capital. If that if if the equity in the deal, that twenty five million, if the prop value goes to one hundred and fifty because they improve the the operating, you know, the net op- operating income or increase rents or reduce costs, um, then then they might sell it and there might be a seventy five million dollars gain over or seventy five million dollars in equity at the end. That's a three times invested capital, right? Um, that excess 50 million might be split 80% to the original investors and 20% to the management team or the general partner managing that deal. So that, that in that case, the manager makes $10 million in addition to the fees to buy and sell the property and any management fees on the 25 million in invested capital over the hold period. That's very simplistic, a better overall understanding of the structure. It can be found when we had Jay Scott on the Bigger Pockets Money podcast to describe this in a two-hour comprehensive session on syndication investing. But the, you are you're that, again, that's the framework that I think a lot of these guys are using is something to that effect that that would be advantageous to you. Now, with, with, with all this said, Connor, could you walk <clears throat> us through the structure of your partnership as you currently understand it? So that's kind of where we're going. <clears throat> that's kind of what we're trying to dial in in the next three three weeks is actually roles and responsibilities. We want there to be an operational benefit to each of us. Um, I manage subs daily. I don't know that I want to do it <laughs> like outside of work. So they're they're really good at it and they got a system down, the two partners. And so I don't really want to wedge in and kind of try to fix something that's not broken because I know they've done some bird deals already that are working out. So I brought the deal. I was going to essentially let them kind of manage manage that to finish. 
we had to talk about some of the details and stuff. So that's kind of where I was originally thinking. Again, we got to sit down and go through all that and create our operating agreement. But okay, um, well, look, that that can can work uh, from that structure. But I think I think it might be wise to sit to sit down privately on, on your own and figure out a business plan to get to where you want to get to. And a couple of options mm-hmm. that would that would that would that would move you there faster, right? Property manager, like I, I have a property manager, maybe my partner have a property manager um, on this, and that property manager manages the subcontractors, and we pay the property manager a ten percent management fee um, for these things, and sometimes we'll pay him an additional fee to GC certain of our projects with that, right? And that is that works for us. Um, and it allows us to, to to continue buying properties and managing them relatively passively, including the the projects. But it is, you know, is it is it faster than having a dedicated equity partner? I don't know. Um, but that, but that, those are the kinds of questions I think to to think through. Sure, <clears throat> absolutely. Um, this this really is the biggest I think item in your in 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 your financial story here. You've got great control over your expenses. You earn really good income. Um, You've got plenty of cash. Your debts are all very low interest and don't make sense to prepay early, in my opinion, given what you're doing here. So I I think, you know, it seems like if, if you weren't saying scale faster, it would be Keep accumulating this cash and keep buying another property every every year or two, um, maybe 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 more frequently. And within five years, you'll own five to seven more properties, um, and probably be very close to to your your goals. You know, with a lot of this stuff. Um, but I think it's it. I think it's great to, to be worth exploring this other the other other these other forms of scale. I wonder if your live in flip and buying another rental property isn't going to generate. Hundreds, hundred thousand, hundred fifty thousand dollars in additional wealth over the next two years, which is a pretty good chunk out of this. And you know, increasing your net worth by fifty percent in two years by saving, living, flipping, and buying another rental property is a pretty good, pretty good aggressive, aggressive uh, approach there with that. So I like the mindset to be even more aggressive. But I, I love the fact that you're you're all out, in my opinion, on, on what you're doing here. When you say scale faster, does that mean generate more income for you or or own more properties for you? That would mean generate more income in general. So whether that's real estate or some form of side hustle, at one point I tried doing wholesale dealing and bringing in some income that way. And I'm kind of just trying it trying what I can when it comes my way, but obviously trying to still be safe and not make big mistakes. Uh, I want to make sure that I'm limiting my exposure and my risk in certain, certain areas. So with your background running subs during the day, I see flipping or live in flipping as a really great way to generate some income and maybe flipping because you've got a baby on the way and live in flipping is a big mess. Um, and you've already done that once and you probably, lots of people are one and done living flippers. <laughs> <laughs> this one's, but, so this one's actually, sorry to cut you off. This one's actually, uh, I guess it wouldn't be considered a living flip. It's a Fannie Mae home style. So essentially 70% of it's going to be done by the time we move in. And then we just got to wrap up the other 30%. Okay. So, 
So yeah, I'm when I say live and flip, I mean live in the construction zone the whole time. But yeah. that doesn't mean that's the only way to do it. Um yeah, getting it all get like getting the big stuff out of the way, that's the smarter way to do it. That's just not the way that I do. <laughs> Why do it smart when you can wash your dishes in the bathtub for a month? Um okay, so like I said before, electric is electric. The electrician at the job site could come to your house and do home electrical. I've seen it done. My father-in-law is an electrician. He's done it. Uh, residential electrician work is the same. Um, and they probably know the codes. They're real easy to look up. I can look them up. Uh, plumbing, the plumber at the job site can do plumbing at your space. And that is one of the most difficult things to do right now is, I mean, after you find the deal, is to find somebody to actually work on the deal. So if you want to own uh, rentals, finding these properties that are subpar and fixing them up and then renting them out, which is a strategy that we have coined called BRRRR, buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat, is a way to kind of recycle your cash. Um, if you do it right, you can, if you do it, optimized, I don't want to say do it right. If you do it optimized to the highest degree, you can pull out all the money that you have in there and still have a cash flowing asset and then take that money and use it again. Um, even if you have to leave some money in the deal, you're you're still able to, in many cases, pull some money out and use it again. So you're not parking all of your money in there. Um, so that with your skills, I think that's a better way to go about this than... Um, partnering with people, then you've got a cash flowing asset that you own all by yourself and make all the decisions by yourself. Sure. That's my opinion. That's what I would do if I had a lot of access to contractors because I've got, I can find the properties. I just can't find anybody to work on them or I can find people to work on them. Everybody I know is already retired and they don't want any more work. Thanks, Eric. <laughs> We know you've heard it before. Cash flow is getting very hard to find. There's always long distance investing, but you may be thinking, I don't have a team, enough experience, or the market knowledge to get in. That's where you're wrong. And it's also where Rent to Retirement comes in. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest out of state with confidence. They've got single family, multifamily, new build, and syndication opportunities across multiple markets. They even have bird deals with immediate equity. Rent to Retirement helps investors learn how to build a bulletproof business plan with the best investment and tax strategies around to help you reach financial freedom through real estate. There's no excuse not to get started in real estate investing when you have the right team and systems already in place. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. 
Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions. Deciding how to invest your capital can be extremely challenging, especially when the market is constantly changing. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company that has a great track record. The BAM Capital executive team has successfully navigated through the Great Recession, COVID-19, and the current interest rate environment while delivering maximized returns to their partners. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator with over $1.3 billion in transactions, delivering a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has consistently paid preferred return distributions for over 50 consecutive months, has not lost limited partners capital, and has not called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital's disciplined investment strategy is targeting undermanaged institutional quality trophy assets throughout the U.S. heartland for accredited investors who are looking for generational wealth building or monthly income opportunities. Their offerings target cash flow stability, capital preservation, long-term appreciation, and accelerated tax benefits. Join BAM Capital's over 1,200 investors across 44 states and get started today at BAMCapital.com. Again, that's BAMCapital.com. One thing I noticed about your your kind of overall financial position is you're you're very clear on your expenses. That that seems beautifully simple on this, but your your assets are very complicated, especially relative to your your current net worth right now. You have seven different bank accounts with that kind of stuff, and and this partnership. What I'm what I'm reading in is is it's kind of an experiment, is what I'm gathering. Right, you're kind of you're kind of learning this. You're 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 you got two two guys that you're 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 partnering with. You think it will help, will help you buy faster, but you haven't really worked out the full economics um, economic impact of the partnership and how that's going to map into your your, your long term with that. I, I'd encourage you to think about simplifying a lot of this. Um, let me let me ask you a couple questions about your cash. Do you have a separate entity for each property? Uh, I have a separate entity for one land contract duplex. Uh, the duplex I'm in now, there's not a separate entity because I currently live there and I'm house hacking it. 
so to answer your question, I just have one entity right now for a land contract, and then we created a series LLC for the the one that's closing March one. Okay. Um, there, there's there's a uh, always a debate about asset protection and that kind of stuff. If you're going to be investing with partners, you gotta gotta you gotta go with the the wishes of the partnership on that. Um, but and, and if you have an LLC, you need to have a separate bank account for that LLC and, and treat it as an independent entity, uh, in, in entirely with that. But for the rest of it, you know, I, I, I had a number of these different bank accounts and all this kind of stuff a while back, and I just consolidated it all into one checking and one savings account, and then the rental property business has a single checking account with that. And does that make it a little harder? You know, does that make it a little harder to parse out what? pieces of cash are for which property or whatever. Yes. But it's also just pretty freeing to be like, okay, I've got one big pile to handle the roof on, on any, any one of the properties that, that, that might have it at this point with that. And I got one for my, my personal and one for my next investment, right? Checking savings rental in a, in a business account. Um, and you might consider that at some point because all these separate accounts may be complicating the situation, and that's going to magnify and multiply if you begin forming more partnerships over time um, to buy more of these properties with that. Absolutely. Something yeah, to think yeah. About. I, I hate going to the store and trying to pull I, my wallet. I pull out like three different credit cards. I can't remember which one's for which property. And so it, it would be nice to simplify, consolidate. The problem is one of them's an LLC and one of them's not right now. So maybe when I'm out of here, I. I don't. I guess I don't know how that would look to be able to get this into the same LLC. Yeah. So at that point, you could just you know you'd have to talk to an attorney uh, about this, but you could you you would have the option to quick claim the property into the LLC, um, and then that would allow you to merge all the properties into one LLC interest. With that, there will be sure. puts and take. There's always puts and takes around complications in your life and management of the business and asset protection in general with this. So you need to talk to an attorney and CPA and it might be a couple hundred or maybe even a thousand bucks to figure out what you what moves you want to make with all this kind of stuff and, and why you want to make them over, over time. But I really like the idea of with a portfolio of your size, having them manage in a in a, in a single asset with that. If you, if you become a multimillionaire over time, then it makes sense to, to, to potentially begin putting in the series LLCs, um, not in the sense of a partnership, but in the sense of equity, you know, that, that will protect your, your equity interest in some of these properties a little bit more, um, over time. But, you know, with $280,000 in net worth, it may not be, it may be more complicating than it actually is providing risk mitigation for you. Yes, and I am going to reiterate that you should speak to an attorney because neither Scott nor I are attorneys, and they may have some different advice and take their advice over ours. I, I, um, I think how- you should talk to investors and attorneys um, with that because sometimes attorneys will just tell you, this is what absolutely you got to do this crazy level of protection. And they're going to charge you 1800 bucks for, for the privilege of doing that and give you four more credit cards to put in your wallet with that, which doesn't, which, which often doesn't make any sense. So I, I think that the combination of a good attorney and good investor peers to, to listen to and get those opinions from is valuable because the attorney's going to, you know, often going to bias towards reducing risk to the point in my opinion, sometimes of absurdity um, w- w- with some of these things. So, so talk to the attorney, yes, uh, but make your own decision, and maybe, 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 maybe talk to some investors as well. 
Yes. And in the okay. meantime, with your card, your wallet full of credit cards, r- take a Sharpie and write on the credit card. This is this duplex. This is this duplex. Just put the the street number of the address or the name of the street that the duplex is on, however you can delineate it. So then it's easy for you because, yeah, you can get confused and then cross mingling of funds or commingling of funds gets you into a lot of trouble. Um you have mentioned the phrase land contract multiple times. And I know there are people listening who don't know what that means because I don't know what that means. So please explain what a land contract is for those of us who are listening and have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, well, I'm sure you guys could better explain it, but general terms. <laughs> um, essentially, I found a seller that had 100% equity in his property and he was willing to finance it to me at a agreed upon amortization and balloon payment with uh, interest rate. So that got um, executed and essentially I'm making the payments to him. And then after five years, I'll have to make a balloon payment to him via refinance or sale, whatever it may be. Oh, interesting. Do you have to have it for five years or can you refinance sooner? The reason that I ask is because rates are about to go up. I can refinance sooner. So I've actually, I've been kind of pondering that. I guess I'd like to give you guys' thoughts on it. How long have you owned this property? Only a year. So Okay. Um, if you have owned it for at least six months, you can re- – well, I, since it's a seller finance, you could probably refinance anytime. I would suggest talking to an, a lender as soon as possible because the Fed has indicated that they will raise rates. I think they indicated it three times, but of course – as soon as I say this and we record this, then they're going to change their mind. But as soon as March, they are considering increasing interest rates. So you're, I'm already seeing interest rates going up. Um, they did something with second home mortgages where you could have, uh, and I don't think this applies to this. I'm just sharing this with everybody in case they haven't heard. If you have a rental property or a property that you want to buy with a second home mortgage, Um, which is kind of like a vacation property for you to use, the rates are going up or there's an extra fee or something starting April 1st. So get yourself uh, into that house now. What's the rate on your your land contract? Uh, It's at 3.75, which is pretty pretty good for a land contract. Yeah, that's awesome for a land contract. (laughs) It's funny because we we say that we, we talk about can't time the market, but then... We always speculate on what interest rates are going to do, uh, and I can't help it. My my, my dad, um, when I when I first bought my first property, he he was like, "Get an arm, right? Why get an you get an arm because you know the 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 rates are so much lower." And this was seven years ago, right? And if I got in the arm, I would have had a way lower rate, and I would have paid way less in payments, and it would have gone down over the last couple of years, and I would have saved a boatload of money with that. And I've never he's constantly been telling me to get an arm, and I've never got an arm on on, on this kind of stuff, and. That's kind. I, I think it's kind of like what you have with this land contract. We have a balloon payment. You're going to have to refinance it in a few years. You're bet. You're you're, you're speculating on what interest rates are going to do over the next couple of years. If you refinance now, I bet you you're at over that rate on a conventional mortgage um, w- with this. And what we're what 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 the the what you have to ask yourself and what we have to kind of think about is: Do we think interest rates are going to go up, down, stay the same, or we can't time them, right? And I can't. Yeah. So. I can't predict that, but I'm too afraid of interest I rates can. going up. 
over the next five years to go go into a deal like you have right here, where I'm, I have that kind of exposure to those interest rates. I always lock in at fixed year, fixed long term thirty year mortgages, um, in spite of the fact that I've lost a lot of money over the last seven years by doing that. Okay, I am going to say that. Scott, your situation is similar but very different. Connor bought this a year ago in your situation that your dad is telling you to get an arm. So Connor did what your dad told him to do, and that would have been great. But now we are in a different situation, and I will speculate that rates are going to go up because the Fed has said we're going to raise rates. Even after all this other stuff has happened, They said we're going to raise rates. We're not changing our plans. Of course, they can change their plans at any time. But I would bet that rates are going to go up. Rates have been unbelievably low for so long that there's, I mean, they can't, I keep saying this and then they prove me wrong. They can't go lower, but they will go lower and they won't. They're not going to, okay, that didn't make any sense. I keep saying rates can't go lower and then they, they go lower. This time, I truly do not believe that rates are going to go any lower. I believe that they're going to go up. And the reason that I believe that is because the Fed has said we're going to raise rates three times in 2022. So, yeah, three, three months ago, the Fed was saying this inflation is just temporary. So that, I, 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 I tend to agree with, with Mindy on this one. Um, so all, all of what I just said is, is tongue in cheek with it. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be comfortable with a, a five-year balloon on a mortgage at that level relative to your overall financial situation with that uh, in a five-year picture right now. That's, that's how I'd personally be, be, be feeling about the situation and be wanting to lock into a long-term rate in the next couple of months, I'd imagine. Okay. So general consensus, probably look at refinancing. This is a good time to go into the forums at biggerpockets.com slash forums and ask that question. Hey, I've heard that the Fed is going to go up or the Fed is going to raise rates, what are your thoughts on interest rates? And if everybody in the forums says, oh, no, they're going to stay low forever, then, you know, maybe I'm wrong. But I don't think everybody in the forums is going to say that. I think they're going to say, hey, I've seen, you know, and they're going to cite articles. Here's an article where the Fed says they're going to raise the rate. I mean, it's been, what, zero, almost zero for so long. Well, we'll we'll see. So, a lot to think about on that one. Uh, <laughs> with this, what what else can we help you with, Connor? So, we went through general trajectory. We went through some scaling techniques. Um, obviously, we student loans are the next big one. I've been paying those. This is another kind of speculation type topic, but uh, I just want to get your thoughts. I know you guys are doing an episode on student loans, but just wanted to get a little bit input on my specific situation. Yes. So this episode 267 came out on January 17th with Robert Farrington from thecollegeinvestor.com. And we talked about uh, different ways to look at your student loans. If you have private student loans, the student loan repayment pause didn't affect you. But if you had federal student loans, it did. It sounds like Connor does have federal student loans and the repayment pause is now through May 1st. So what Robert said in that episode is that he does not think that you should be making any payments right now if you could be putting your money towards other uses, if you've got other debt, um, et cetera. So if you have a low interest rate, what is your 
A student loan interest rate, isn't it like 3.2 or something? Uh, it's 4.6, actually. 4.6. So that's yeah. still within Scott's range of uh, don't pay it off early um, because you can get a better return on your money in a different investment. Um, I tend to agree with Scott. 4.6 starts to get a little high for me to not pay off, but I generally defer to Scott. He has a big economic break. I, I, I um, think it's an interesting thing because the 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 blended, like, like the, the overall interest rate on that is slightly lower than 4.6%. And again, I can't compute this math. So someone someone else has to put together this spreadsheet and figure this out. But like, you, you'd think, okay, because that's in forbearance right now, I'm actually paying zero. And based on the time value money and all this other nonsense, the, the, the blended rate of my student loan debt is actually less than something else. I'm accruing interest on my car payment right now um, on this. So it makes sense to stop accruing that interest at the very least in a temporary period um, and put it towards some other debt rather than towards a student loan that that is currently not accruing interest there. Um, now, if it was 8%, you'd be like, okay, well, I'm a, if I don't put it towards the student loan debt now, it's going to be accruing a higher interest rate when it's all said and done in a few months. Um, so that's kind of the art, and that's where I'm, I'm having trouble figuring out the, the right economic answer, where that cutoff is, Um because because of that dynamic, but that but that's that's the framework I'd be thinking about the the problem with. And we've already had uh, extensions of this student loan repayment and of uh, repayment forbearance. I can't remember what it was called. We've already had extensions of that, so it was definitely going to end on January thirty first, and payments were going to definitely start on February first. And now it's been kicked to May first. So now payments are definitely going to start on May 1st, unless they decide that they're not definitely going to start on May 1st. So that was another point that Robert made, is that we could see this kick down the line further. So why start making payments again if you don't have to? See if it's further kicked down, and then you can take the money that you would be paying towards that and further reduce your car payment. Um, and there has been talk of student loan forgiveness. And if you pay off your student loan, then there isn't student loan forgiveness. And whatever side of the coin you are on with regards to student loan forgiveness, what it boils down to is if there's no student loan to forgive, you can't take advantage of this program. So um, the student loans, definitely go back and listen to episode 267 of the Money Podcast with Robert Farrington and you know get some great advice from him. Visit his website, thecollegeinvestor.com. He's got a lot of stuff about student loans. That's kind of all he talks about. Yeah, and you want to make people um, angry. You talk about how I'm going to wait for the student loans to be forgiven. And the people who paid off their student loans will be livid that they did that. So they're, they're, that's always a controversial topic as well with, with, with this. But like our, 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 our job is not like, oh, here's what should be the case. It's what's the best decision you can make with your money with that. And failing to take into account the possibility that student loans might be forgiven in some amount is a financial mistake, I think, at the end of the day, um, regardless of what your views on that from a policy perspective is, just to, just to save us from the inevitable comments that will come um, from you know, a commentary on, hey, student loans might be forgiven, therefore we shouldn't pay them off. No. Well, that is a rational economic thought that a individual needs to have when they're considering their long-term financial planning. Um, uh, an overall situation is what is that probability? So I, I think it's a fair point and and heading off those those uh, 
those nasty comments now. However, if you would like to make a nasty comment, you can send it to Scott at biggerpockets.com. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay, and we need to talk about baby. Your baby does not care if he or she is wearing brand name items. Your baby does not care if he or she is wearing clothes that another baby has worn. Your baby does not care if he or she has a room full of toys or three toys, especially when they're brand new, because all they're going to do is eat, sleep, and poop. So don't buy brand new everything. You don't need it. You do need in my opinion, you do need a brand new car seat because that protects your baby when traveling at upwards of 40 miles an hour in a metal shell. You need a brand new crib because crib technology changes all the time. And what was acceptable for us is now against the law to make. So <sighs> otherwise, you can shop at thrift stores and garage sales. Tell everybody you know that you're having a baby and they'll be like, oh, my goodness, can I give you all of my old baby stuff? And you'll be like, yeah, I guess. Take the stuff that you like, get rid of, like pass it on to somebody else who was having a baby. When I was done having babies, I'm like, what do I do with all this stuff? People who no longer need it want to get rid of it. They want to give it to you. Let them go through what you want, get rid of the rest. It does not have to be super expensive to have a baby. You can cloth diaper and breastfeed and get used everything and spend almost nothing on your baby. And what, what do you what do you what do you have to say to the folk the folks that that may be listening or or, or Connor here who I, I'm aligned with that the baby is aligned with that for sure, but maybe the spouse is not aligned <laughs> with, with that. How, how does how do how do we have that discussion? Tell her to call me up, and I'll tell her the same thing. <laughs> uh, but and I get it, I get it. You want your baby to have like I when I was pregnant with my first, I was working with a woman who was also pregnant with her first. And I was telling her about this enormous garage sale that was happening at like the fairgrounds that weekend. And she said, oh, I, it, this is my first baby. I want my first baby to have everything brand new. And I was like, oh, we're not the same person at all. Okay. I just won't tell you about these garage sales that are coming up. Always keep your baby in a onesie because when you don't, they poop everywhere. And every mom listening, every dad listening is like, yep, that's what happens. So buy a bunch of onesies at a garage sale. And when they get covered in unmentionables, you can throw them away because they only cost a quarter. And that's kind of gross to clean that out. But yeah, so you can spend very little on having a baby and you can spend a whole lot of money on having a baby. You could buy Ralph Lauren actual baby clothes, which seems absurd to me. I think you can at even buy Chanel sale. baby clothes at the garage sale. <laughs> I I think it's absurd. And everybody's going to buy you baby clothes anyway. Like, Get good diapers, love your baby, spend time with them, and that's all they want. But I mean, that's oversimplifying everything. But it's like the, the baby industry will tell you you need all the things. You don't. You need something to put in this end and something to clean the other end. And that's like keep it warm in the middle. And that's that's like that's kind of it. And there's lots of ways to do that on the cheap. Yeah. I was trying to actually go through and put together a budget for a baby. <laughs> and it was very, very vague. Yeah, I was like Googling like how much does a baby cost per month? <laughs> and it's just wildly <laughs> inaccurate. It's like anywhere from one dollar to ten thousand dollars. <laughs> so 
That is a true statement. Anywhere from $1 to $10,000. And, you know, there I, I, I went off on a tangent. I, I said breastfeed and cloth diaper. Not everybody can breastfeed. If you need to buy formula, you need to buy formula. Reach out <clears> to the formula companies and ask for coupons. They'll send them to you. Formula is expensive. Getting the, the liquid formula that you just pour into the bottle is more expensive than getting the powder formula that you mix with water. It's not that hard. It dissolves super fast. It's real easy to make. Get the powdered kind. Buy in bulk. Ask your doctor for samples if they have samples or ask them if they have any way to save money on them. Some babies need special formula and sometimes you can get that prescribed by the doctor and then your insurance might cover it. There's a lot of different things to to try when your baby doesn't fit the the traditional I don't want to say norms but like the traditional you know everything's okay uh that that doesn't sound right either so sorry I don't mean it like that but you know when your baby I cannot figure out a way to say this that doesn't make me sound like a horrible person so talk to your doctor but like talk to moms join moms groups like there's always people looking to get rid of their baby stuff take everything Go through it, take what you like, and pass on what you don't. And that's a great way to get baby stuff. We do have the age-old issue right now, which is obviously when when my wife is off of work, she doesn't have maternity leave. So that brings this whole different budget scenario that we're just banging our heads against the wall trying to figure out. <laughs> yeah. Jeez, yeah. What, what state are you in again? Uh, Wisconsin. We're in Milwaukee. Whew. They have four-year-old kindergarten. <laughs> so obviously we knew it was coming. So we're we're still excited for everything, but we do have a little bit of a dilemma we're trying to work through right now with this. So Yeah, that's just gonna be another expense that you guys are gonna have to have to put into the, the budget there. And then when she goes back to work, there's childcare expense. What are you going to do about childcare? Right. Who do you have to watch the baby? That's what we're kinda we're we're tossing around ideas. I mean, we talk about it a lot. We're just we're not quite there with a final decision, but trying to look at some side hustles, maybe some stuff we can do from home and we're just we're we're really trying to navigate right now, so it's a lot to think about. Well, the the good news is you've got a really strong financial position with all this kind of stuff on your money journey. You've got a big margin of safety. You've got a number of of assets with this and a portfolio that looks like and and your net worth is not just in retirement accounts or your personal home equity. It's in assets that can excel you towards your your financial goals. You're generating passive cash flow from these properties already with this that will probably partially or completely offset some of these childcare expenses. So you're in you're in a good spot and you're going to build wealth over the next couple of years with it, regardless of whether uh, of of whether you buy the baby clothes at the um, Ralph Lauren Polo store most likely or at the garage sale. Although Mindy's advice will, will certainly help um, with that. So yeah, but I think it is interesting and something I gotta I gotta think about uh, if if we if we start a family, Mindy, in the next couple of years. So thank healthcare, you. Healthcare or I'm sorry, childcare can be. There's lots of creative options for childcare. Maybe your wife can work. I mean, she works as a pediatric dental assistant. hygienist. Did you say pediatric dental assistant? Yeah. So there's the there could be the opportunity for a four day work week 
and maybe other people that she knows could do a four-day work week. And it just, the same kids rotate through people's houses. Like she takes three kids one day and somebody else takes three kids one day and somebody else takes three kids one day. And that could work out. Um, babysit swaps are great as long as you trust all the other people that are, you know, within the swap. Um, but there's like, I think you just really have to get creative if you don't have family near you or, you know, trusted friends or trusted like neighbors that that do this. I mean, just because somebody works from home doesn't mean that they get to be your babysitter. Uh, speaking up for all of you work from home moms that get asked this all the time. Hey, you work from home. Can you watch my kid? Well, no, I work from home. Sorry, <laughs> I digress. Well, how else can we help you today, Connor? Any, any other areas that we you want to touch on or anything that you don't feel we've quite covered enough? Uh, no, I mean, we covered a lot of the areas I wanted to talk about. Uh, kind of backtracking a little bit. Uh, I guess I want to get your thoughts on currently, you know, I'm not putting anything into my Roth IRA. For my Roth 401k, I'm just putting in the company match, 4%. All cash above and beyond that I'm taking and dumping into real estate. I'm assuming with my my goals of the five, seven years or 10 years at max, that's kind of what I should be doing with purchasing more real estate. I, I, I think it's an impossible, it's an impossible question to know the right answer to. If you believe that your returns from real estate will be greater than the returns you can get from the stock market, that 10%, maybe tax advantaged, um, long-term average at the stock market might return eight to 10%, then you should, then you can continue doing that. Um, and I see nothing wrong with it. It's, it's what I did. Um, when I, when I got started was, was something very similar to what you're describing here. And it worked out for me, although that was in the middle of a very good market for real estate. Um, I guess, and stocks over the last couple of years, um, when I, when I started there. So I think it's an, I think it's a decision to make. And I love the fact that you have made a decision and you're, you're, you're doing that. Um, for the most part, rather than spreading it all across everything and getting rich very slowly uh, with, with this. So I, I, I can't argue with it, but I think, and I think if you're going to do that, then apply your trade in real estate and, and figure out a way to make sure that you can get the best, best returns there possible with it. I completely agree with what you said, Scott. I think that trying to do everything is going to be difficult. And focusing on one thing with your background, I think that focusing on um, real estate is a really great choice. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I guess. I, I don't know. I mean, we went over. It's just the one thing I want to talk about was the, the scaling and, um, you know, trying. I just there's days where I just don't have enough hours in a day. And I'm sure you guys are familiar with that. So it's not like it's my problem only, but, um, yeah, just general time management. I mean, I, my, my W2 jobs pretty, they require a lot of, a lot of time to it. So it's tough to also try to scale the real estate portfolio on top of that. It's, it's getting extremely difficult. You're in a great income and have great bonus potential from your W2 job. So that's why it's difficult mm -hmm. to build a business on the side because you have a, a great <laughs> job. Um, fair, fair enough. Um, no, I, I think I think that is the big crux. Is, is if you're gonna if you're gonna scale your real estate portfolio, you need to do you need to go back to the drawing board on the basic math about what that return is going to be and an estimate of how that's going to impact your time commitment, right? Because and, and I think that's that's the big challenge for you is to figure out 
am I really getting wealthy faster because I'm partnering with these two individuals? Or am I just doing, am I just going to own a bigger portfolio with more partners that produces essentially the same economic return long-term as if I didn't have those partners in the first place. That's the trap I think you should save yourself from. And it may be the answer is yes, having these partners is going to get me there faster, but I bet you it will take a structural change in the way that you've, you've, you've done that more clearly outlining the roles and responsibilities or giving you economic interest that results from the extra work you're going to do. And also scaling doesn't have to go from zero to a million today. I would keep your real estate agent, uh, make sure they know that you are ready, willing, and able to jump in with both feet when the right property pops up on the market. Have them send you a list based on whatever your criteria is over whatever market or markets you're looking at and what I do every morning is I go through all the listings that came in overnight and I go through the listings as I'm drinking my coffee. I check them out. I review what the property is, how much it's, what, like where I think it's, I'm only looking in my specific city. I what it, what this is doing is showing me just how fast my market is appreciating and where the markets, where the prices are rising. And in my city, it's everywhere, which is awesome. Um, but it's it just keeps the properties in the forefront of your mind all the time. And it just it doesn't take very long to do because I'm not looking through all 500 properties that are on the market. I'm looking through the 15 that came on the market last night. And I can scroll through them really quickly and say, nope, nope, nope. Oh, that would be very interesting. I'd like to go look at that. Or, you know, hey, this is awesome. I don't even need to look at it. I know that this is going to be a smoking hot deal. I can jump on it right now. So... Um, I would make a point to review the listings every morning and quickly dismiss anything that you know is not going to work out. Dive a little deeper into something that you think might work out and see the properties or make offers on the properties that you really want to own and see what happens. Do you guys, I'm not too familiar with the 1031, but do you guys see opportunity for that in my, in my position where I'm at now? You haven't owned the properties. I, I don't think you've owned the properties very long. I don't think that you have a lot of equity in those properties. I don't think you have a use case for trading up from from those properties to another to a larger property, right? So you you, you um, looking at some of your numbers here. You know, one of the properties you have three seventy five asset value. You have a three hundred and five thousand dollar mortgage against it, right? Another one you mm -hmm. have fifty five thousand three hundred fifty five thousand dollar value three hundred five thousand dollar land contract. Another one, you have 315000 in asset value and two hundred twenty-seven. So you, you maybe have $150,000 in equity between all these properties, maybe two hundred dollars um, on that. And to, to me, you're, you're highly leveraged against all those properties, which means your return profile, if things go reasonably well, is likely to remain strong. And you won't be able to 1031, even if you even if you 1031 all of those properties, you're pulling out $150,000 to two hundred dollars maybe less after transaction costs associated with that. And you're buying a, I don't know, seven, $800,000 asset with that. I mean, it's, it's almost less asset value than you currently have with it based on that. If you, if you had, if your mortgages were a hundred thousand dollars across those things, you had $600,000 in equity value. That would be a real consideration. You'd own those things for, for seven to 10 years. Um, then we might be talking about that as a tactic, but I, I think, I think you just have, 
another several years to sit on these guys before that becomes a more practical, a more useful tool in your arsenal. Yeah, I will uh, only disagree with Scott about the amount of time that you've held the property for a 1031. There's no actual set amount of time that you have to own the property. Otherwise, everything that he says is correct. There's just not enough equity in there to make the 1031 and the hassle of a 1031, the deadlines of a 1031 worth your while right now. In a few years, it might be. I mean, we're in a rapidly appreciating market. I'm not that tuned into the Milwaukee market right now. So I don't know how fast your market is appreciating, but over the course, like over most of America, it is appreciating rather quickly because we just have no supply right now. Um, So I can say maybe in a few years, I can see this being more more of an opportunity or more of a worthwhile endeavor. I will say if you if a 1031 does actually work for your specific situation, get involved with a qualified intermediary before you list your house because if you take possession of the money, your 1031 is out the window, there's no way to save it. So, there are several really great 1031 exchange qualified intermediaries. That's a that's a specific phrase. That's the person that handles the 1031 exchange for you. They know all the rules. Um, and you can find a couple of really great ones at biggerpockets.com in the forums. Just type in 1031 in our search bar and you will find the same names referred over and over again. Because they're awesome. Okay. Well, Connor, this has been a lot of fun. I had a great time jumping into all of your different options. You really do have a great financial situation where you're at right now. I don't think that Scott and I do enough to praise the financial situation because you could be 30 with a boatload of debt and no assets at all. I mean, you're doing great. You are in that phase where you sit and wait. Now you just got to wait for the the appreciation to to grow and the, the uh, portfolio to get larger. So as you continue doing what you're doing, it will continue to grow. Yeah, I, I, I would echo that. You're doing, you're doing fantastic with this. You've got a really strong financial position. You're in a great income. You spend much less than you earn. And you, you're applying. You have a, you have a strategy that seems effective for your investing, and especially with this with this real estate stuff. With it, you, the, this is the frustrating part of the financial journey because you look up in five years, and if you just ply this, you're going to probably go from two fifty to five hundred to seven fifty in net worth, depending on how the markets do and and what what the compounding um, of your of your assets. Uh, how that how that plays out, and your frustration, your biggest pain point, which we have not solved today on the show, really, is how do I make that grind go faster in the end? And the answer is I don't really have a good answer for for that from from the grind perspective of moving from this period of several hundred thousand dollars in net worth and strong cash flow positive situation to financial freedom that much faster, other than you know finding that creative option for your for your business that actually changes. The economic potential. It's taking more risk, or working harder, or finding some sort of of opportunity to to you know systematically exploit in your market with that. And I don't think we uncovered that for you today. So this is one of those finance prizes where hopefully we're helpful and at least you know not at least helping you avoid or tweak a situation that might have resulted in more work for the same or for essentially the same gain as if you did it on your own. But I, I don't think I, I actually don't think we solved your fundamental problem today, unfortunately. Is that right? 
No, I wouldn't say that's right. I mean, you guys, <clears throat> you gave a lot of good feedback and kind of reassured that the, the path I'm on will, will get me there. I don't want to put the cart before the horse. I got to make sure I still do things correct and not try to scale too fast. And there's, there's an end in sight. I just, uh, it was nice to kind of hear some reassurance from you guys and a lot of good feedback. So I appreciate it. Oh, well, great. Okay. I, I was a little, I was just a little down myself. I was like, I don't know. I don't know if we, <laughs> I don't have a silver bullet here for this, for, for this. I think you're doing all the right things. It's going to take you some time from your fundamentals. And then, you know, I, I don't know if you're, you've, you've, we've really cracked the nut on the, the partnership or scaling the real estate thing faster with this right now. Well, I think we gave him a lot to think about. So I think you're wrong, Scott. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Connor. Well, thank you so much for your time and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. Okay, Scott, that was Connor. And that was a fun episode. What did you think? Yeah, I, I think it was great. I think Connor has a lot going on in his financial position. He earns a great income. He's got con- clear command of his expenses, a lot of moving parts with his move coming up, um, and a lot of different assets and and debts um, with different parts of their picture. So it was a fun discussion because there's a lot of um, – it's, it's, it's a more complicated financial position um, than, than many we've talked to. And so there's a lot of opportunities to – to dissect various decisions and and make capital allocation decisions. Yeah. I do think that we gave him a lot of really great points to think about. And that's kind of the whole purpose of this show is to, yes, give a little bit of, hey, if I was in your position, I would do this, but also to give our guests something to think about and something to you know, uh, what do we call it? Research opportunities. These are things you should consider. These are things that you need to come to the decision about on your own. But here's some frameworks to think about that can be things that you didn't consider until Scott's big economic brain brought them up. So I'm very pleased. Awesome. I I have a uh, personal favor to ask of the listeners today on this. Um, there is a account, my, my Instagram account is at Scott underscore trench. Um, there is an account that has at Scott underscore underscore trench It is a scammer or spammer. They're impersonating me. They've, they, they're messaging people about crypto trading, which I will never do. Um, this, could you please, if you have an Instagram account, could you look up the, this fake account at Scott underscore underscore trench and report it as, you know, uh, I, oh, I'm forgetting the language that they use there, but you can report it as impersonating a fake pro uh, or impersonating my real profile. That would be very helpful. And I think hopefully would, would save some people from, from getting, um, scammed hopefully with that. So thank you very much. Could you please report the fake Scott trench on Instagram? Uh, my real one is at Scott underscore trench one underscore. Thank you guys. He's even posting your same posts. Oh, yes. and he used and, your and, picture. And he or she blocked me. So I can't, I would, I even, I couldn't even see it uh, there. I didn't, I didn't even know that there was a fake account. So yes, wow. please, please go and report those guys, that, that guy or that person and, and getting kicked off, please. Oh, I hope by the time this airs that that has been, uh, removed. So yes, please help Scott out and also follow Scott underscore trench on Instagram. And you can follow me Mindy at BP and that's everywhere. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. That's where I'm at and bigger pockets money or BP money, depending on what platform you're on, because somebody took bigger pockets money on several platforms anyway. Okay. That's enough asking for favors. 
Uh, oh, wait, no, we should ask for a review too while we're at it. We would like to be able to share this show with the whole world. But since we can't share it with the whole world, we'd like you to help us spread it as far and wide as we can. And the best way to do that is to leave a ratings and review wherever you get your podcast. Of course, we'd love a five-star review, but please give us the review that you think we deserve, which is five stars. Okay. Should we get out of here, Scott? Let's do it. He is Scott Trench, and I am Mindy Jensen saying, see you later, alligator. After a while, crocodile. Go back to the basics. Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions.